the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This program is sponsored by North Valley Church of Christ. There's a message true and glad for the sinful and the sad. Ring it out. Ring it out. Ring it out. Ring it out. It will give them courage new. It will help them to be true. Ring it out. Ring it out. Ring it out. Ring it out. Ring out. The word. Good afternoon, folks, and welcome back to another episode of Redeeming the Time. I'm your host, Chris Macy, and I'm the minister here with the North Valley Church of Christ. Okay, well, things are looking pretty good uh, here at North Valley and up at the Copper Basin Bible Camp. Up at Copper Basin, we have our summer camp dates all set and ready to go for the whole month of June. If you're interested in getting your kids out of the city and out of the heat and you want them to just get away and off their electronics for a time for a week, nothing better than getting up to Copper Basin Bible Camp. And you may be thinking, Chris, I just don't have the money to pay $1,000, $600 a week for my kids to go to camp. Well, that is the general going rate for most places, but guess what? At Copper Basin Bible Camp, it's not that expensive. $200, $195 to send your kid to camp for one week. And if they've never been to camp and they're they're uh, younger than fourth grade, we have a thing called Cub Camp, and it's only $95 per kid. Now, we do ask that a a parent or a guardian be present at camp while they're there. We we, we don't we try to limit how much you know we don't want the kid to see you or them while they're there. But this is to introduce kids to camp. Cup camp's great. It's about uh, what is it two or three days? I'm not sure. I think it's a half day, a full day, and another half day. Uh, but it's a, at the very beginning of camp. You can find more information at copperbasinbiblecamp.org. You get the dates and, and information there. Anyway, I just want to get that out there to you. Uh, encourage you to take a look at that. Send your kids to camp. It's a great way to uh, get them out, get them off of the electronics. And, boy, they love it. I've directed uh, the 4th through 6th grade camp several times. It's wonderful. The kids, the kids love it. Well, today... <clears throat> Today I want to talk about something. Uh, I was I was sent a link from a, a preacher. I'm not going to give na- name names or anything like this, but it was a link, a, an audio program this guy did. He was uh, working through, kind of working through John chapter 4. He really had a topical lesson. He, he had a topic he wanted to discuss. He wanted to, to talk about divorce and his title of his lesson was As Is. You know, I, And the idea was accepting people as is. <clears throat> and um, it's a series, but I was given this this one link. And I think it's interesting how I, I generally, I wish people would send me stuff that was good, but generally I get things, people asking, what do you think about this, Chris? And it's usually somebody who takes something out of uh, context or not correctly, is just way off base. Rarely do I get something that I think is, hey, that's good. And it's not that I think I'm 
Eric, I think people just send me things that are just off the wall because, wow, that's weird. What does that mean? And they send it to me. Why don't they send me? If you find something that's really good, send that to me for a change. I'd like to hear that. Anyway, so this guy, he uh, he's working through <coughs> John chapter four. This the woman of Samaria the, at the at the well. Woman at the well. Samaritan woman at the well. Great passage. I love this passage. Uh, but he clearly had an agenda. He spends the first five minutes of his lesson establishing and emphasizing the idea of rejection and being alone. And, and then when he gets into John chapter 4, he, he makes it sound like this woman, Samaritan woman, is a rejected woman, that she's all alone. She has nobody. And so Jesus, you know, he, he deals with her as is, which is true. He deals with her as is, where she's at, only to bring her where she needs to be, is what uh Jesus is doing, but this is not a woman who is rejected by her nation. And I want to quickly deal with that, but then I want to go back and actually work through the text with you. Here's why I do not believe this is a woman who is rejected. Now, is she living in a time when women, uh, the status of women is not as high as men? Yes, but that doesn't mean she cannot be a woman of influence because she is, and she clearly is. When you work through it, you, it, you kind of get this idea that, wow, man, why is she out here by herself getting water? Well, she's married five times or she's been sleeping with five different men and she's a, uh, uh, she's, you know, anyway, we, we get the kind of woman she is. But when you get down to verse 39, <clears throat> it says this, from that city, because she goes back to the city. From that city, many of the Samaritans believed in him, Jesus, because of the word of the woman who testified, he told me all the things that I have done. Now, let's stop there. Is this, if this is a rejected woman, why would anyone listen to her? If she was a rejected woman and she came in and said, hey, there is a Jew out there, a man talking to me by himself, and it's a Jew, and here's what, he, here's what he's told me. So what? That's a, not only do we reject you because you're a woman, and not only do we reject you because you sleep around, but we reject the Jews too. We're not listening to you. Why would they listen to her? But they do. So when the Samaritans, verse 40, when the Samaritans came to Jesus, they were asking him to stay with them. So they wouldn't ask this Jew to stay because of that woman. And so he stays there two days. Verse 41, many more believed because of his word, the word of Jesus. And they were saying to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe. For we have heard for ourselves and know that this one is indeed the Savior of the world. After the two days, he went forth from there into Galilee. That is not a woman who is rejected. That's not a rejected woman. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm missing something here, but I don't think I am. I do not believe this is a rejected woman. So let's work through this. Now, we don't have much time, but let's work through this text and see what's going on. Um, we get down here. Let's, 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 let's go all the way to the very beginning to verse 1. Therefore, when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself was not baptizing, but his disciples were, he left Judea and went away again into Galilee, and he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to the city of Samaria, or to a city of Samaria called Sychar, 
near the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. And Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, being wearied from his journey, was sitting thus by the well. It was about the sixth hour. So he, he's doing his work. He's on his way to, into, to go to Galilee. And he, verse 4 says, he had to pass through Samaria. Well, New King James says, um, needed to pass through Samaria. Now that does not imply that going through Samaria was the only route to Galilee. You know, the alternative and much longer route from Judea to Galilee would be to cross the Jordan River near Jericho, travel up the east bank through Pura or Pura or something like that, and then cross back over the Jordan near the Sea of Galilee. Because of the Jews' hatred for the Samaritans, they often took this route. That's silly. Uh, but it's not always true. Uh, even Josephus, the historian, observed that it was the custom of the Galileans when they went to Jerusalem for festivals, they would pass through Samaria in order to take the shortest route. So Jesus had to pass through Samaria. That's it. Okay, there's nothing to read into that, as some do. <clears throat> so he's there, he's at the well, he's tired. Verse 7, There came a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Therefore the Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask me for a drink, since I am a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Now let's stop there at verse 9. That's interesting to me. Let me, let me take a drink. So the Jews, she, it, it, we got that parenthetical statement, For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Okay, so... The Jews have no, where am I? Oh, yeah. For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritan. Okay. Now, that may seem like a contradiction because he just sent his disciples into the Samaritan city to buy food. Now, the Jews don't like the Samaritans. True. They really don't like the Samaritan women. You don't associate with them. But I think the parenthetical statement there is more about the use of their utensils and sharing in those utensils. Kind of like when you sit down and eating with them. They don't do that. So, you know, how is it? She doesn't focus on him being a man, but just the Jew and the Samaritan thing is even more strong. So, verse 10, Jesus answered, If you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. She said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? You are not greater than our father Jacob, are you, who gave us the well and drank of it himself and his sons and his cattle? And Jesus answered and said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him shall never thirst. But the water that I will give him will become in him a well of water springing up to eternal life. Now let's stop right there for a moment. So <clears throat> let me put it in your mind that <clears throat> is Jesus's focus just on this woman only? R right now, yes, but there is a greater purpose here. He wants to reach as many people as he can. I, that is always the purpose. Will the Samaritans listen to a Jew? No. If he goes into this city, they probably would run him out. They would not want to hear what he's got to say. But 
if he can reach this woman, she can go into the city and bring them out. And we, we've already read that. That's what's going to happen. And I think that's the purpose of Jesus here. He's going to get her to think. And he's going to deal with her, true, as is. Where she is at is, is the best way to put that. Where she's at to bring her closer to him, to ask the right kinds of questions so that she will seek him out. Right now she's not. She's not willing. But he's enticing the mind, getting her to be more curious about the truth of things. And so he starts with the water. Well, I got, if you knew who you were talking to, you'd be asking me for water. And she's looking at him, still thinking physically. Well, you don't even have anything to pull water out. So he tells her again, well, the water I have, if you had it, you'll never thirst again. It'll become like a, a water springing up inside of you to eternal life. And he's talking about truth. And if you have that truth, it will be a spring within you. It will give eternal life. You'll never thirst again because you'll know the truth. You'll have it. Right now, she doesn't know the truth. And she's unsure about a few things. And he's, But Jesus has got that truth if she's willing to have ears to hear and eyes to see. So verse 15, the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so I will not be thirsty nor come all the way here to draw. Oh, man, how far do I have that? I mean, it'd be great if I didn't have to go back and forth and draw all this water. Oh, well, that's great, said Jesus, verse 16. Go, call your husband, and come here. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You have correctly said, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one whom you now have is not your husband. This you have said truly. Now, let's stop right there for a moment. <clears throat> so this fella I was listening to who was uh, talking about this, this was his agenda right here. This, when he got to this point, he, I mean, he was already wrong, I think, on some many levels. But here, he started to focus on the husband. Now, that word, the Greek word there for husband, can be just man. Now, I think it's right husband, you know, because this is the way she probably viewed it, but it also could be just man. It could be that she just sleeps around, or maybe she was divorced, or maybe she she just jumped. Who knows? We don't know. Whatever it is, she she sleeps around, or she's been divorced many times, and the man she's with now is not even her husband. Whatever it is, it's showing her sinful life, and Jesus is showing her I know you. I know all about you. And so verse 19, she recognized that and she says to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. You see what Jesus is doing? He's using that to try to get her to think. You need to understand who I am, is what Jesus is saying. He's trying to get her to move beyond the physical and see the spiritual. And she's getting there. He's appealing to her in, in, in different ways. You can almost... Uh, hear and see that all throughout this, in the first few verses, he appeals to her sense of concern, and then to her sense of curiosity, and then her sense of conscience there, uh, down to verse 18 is where we're at. And from here, he now that he's got her where he wants her to be, he's going to appeal next to you know, her understanding of the truth. So, she says there in verse 20, she starts to ask some, some of the correct questions. Our fathers worshipped 
in this mountain. And you people, that's the Jews, say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. So she's at, in other words, she made a statement, but she's asking, who's right? Is it the Samaritans or is it the Jews? So Jesus answers, <clears throat> woman, believe me, an hour is coming when neither in this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But, now, so he, he answers the question by saying, well, the Jews are right and, and you are wrong. However, let me get, bring you something here. An hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For such people, the Father seeks to be his worshipers. God is spirit. And those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. Now, let's examine what Jesus is saying here. There are some misconceptions here about in spirit and in truth. So before we consider the meaning of, the, of that term, it might be well to state what they do not mean. Now, the most common view is that in spirit means to worship with the right attitude and or in sincerity and in truth. Uh, and that in truth means to worship in accordance with the word, word of God. Now, those sentiments are correct concerning our worship, but they do represent a misunderstanding of what Jesus was saying to this woman. He wasn't saying that. And the reason these interpretations, I, I think, should be rejected by us is because they do not offer a contrast or a change between the current worship under the Jewish system and what was to come under the Christian system. Jesus is saying that what's coming is going to be something different than what presently exists. Yet to say that we must have the right attitude and that we must worship in accordance with the word of God, that offers no change and no contrast to the qualities of right attitude and according to the God's will that the Jews was doing. It must always be present in acceptable worship to God, whether it was under the Jewish system or under the Christian system. So the Jews were certainly required to offer worship with the right attitude. We see that from Isaiah 29 and from Isaiah chapter 1. <clears throat> in like manner, the Jews were required to offer worship in accordance with divine standard, according to the word, Deuteronomy chapter 5, Leviticus chapter 10, and a ton of other passages. So to say that these things have to do with you know, being doing it the right way in the right attitude, well, that's no different than what the Jews were supposed to do. So the concept of right attitude and according to the Word of God have always been essential to having the right uh, uh, acceptable form of worship. <coughs> Excuse me. So that expression, worship in spirit, must be seen in contrast to the present worship of the Jews. Worship in spirit is something new here. It is different what is currently being practiced. Currently, the Jews could only worship in Jerusalem. And now the Samaritans thought it was in this mountain. The Jews say, no, it's Jerusalem. Now the Jews were right. But he's letting her know there's a time coming where that's going to change. It won't, be in, it won't have to be in Samaria, Samaria, which it isn't. And it doesn't have to be in Jerusalem soon. It'll be in spirit. It will be, you'll be able to worship God anywhere. Because it will happen on the level of your heart. You understand? You see what he's saying? So what's new in this worship of spirit is the removal 
of external ceremony and ritual, the physical elements that were once essential to a man's approach to God. No longer is one required to travel to Jerusalem. He may meet God at the level of his own spirit. It is worship that corresponds to the very nature of God, who himself is spirit. Now, what about worship in truth? That must also be given a similar understanding of contrast to the then current system of the Jews. Jesus told the Samaritan woman that worship would soon change, and the change included worshiping in truth. The term truth, aletheia, in the Greek, there in verse 23 and 24, uh, true worshipers in verse 23, carries the connotation of genuineness or divine reality. Now, we may often think of the English word truth as that which is opposed to what is false. The Jews were not worshiping what was false. They were doing it in truth. Like True, they were wrong in a lot of ways, but under the system, it was truth. John uses the term to denote what is real and genuine here. For example, John, uh, John chapter 1, verse 17, he declared that the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth, aletheia, were realized through Jesus Christ. In other words, what came through Moses was not the divine reality God intended for man. What Moses gave was certainly not false as opposed to the truth, but it was not the real or genuine article that is revealed in Christ. So the old law could only give us a shadow, a copy of the real thing. And so to worship in truth is to offer up genuine worship as opposed to what was only a copy or a shadow of the reality that we find under the Jewish system. That's what he's saying to her. Not that she fully understood that, I think, but that's for her to, to try to grasp and for us too. That's what Jesus is saying. So when we say, let us worship in spirit and truth, that's, you're right. Yeah, we, we want to worship in spirit and truth. But here he's talking about on the level of our heart, in genuine worship. So let's not get that confused, please. So let's read, let's read on, verse 25. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When that one comes, he will declare all things to us. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. At this point, his disciples, actually, let me stop right there. So, she recognized something, doesn't he? So G Jesus has been leading her, trying to move her away from the physical to recognize who he is. He's appealing to, to things to her, to conscience and to the truth. And, no, and so she asks, she finally begins to ask, even though she's making statements, she's asking the right questions. First it was, all right, who's right, the Samaritans or the Jews? Well, it's the Jews, but don't worry, something greater is coming. The genuine article is coming, and that's me. And so she, well, he doesn't say that's me yet, but she asks, I know the Messiah is coming. He was called Christ. When that one comes, he will declare all things to us. And then he says, that's me. She's talking. She recognized the genuineness that he was talking about there. She, Are you telling me that the Christ is coming? Yes, and that's me. How exciting. Jesus revealed this to this woman, a Samaritan. Oh, man, what a blessing she has received. What a blessing. How awesome that must have been for her to realize. What a, real, what, a, what a revelation for her. So, verse 27. 
At this point, his disciples came, and they were amazed that he had been speaking with a woman, yet no one said, what do you seek, or why do you speak with her? Because, you know, they're, oh, okay, why, why are you talking? Well, they, they, they're going to wait. They're going to hold their tongue. So the woman left her water pot and went into the city and said to the men, come, see a man who told me all the things that I have done. This is not the Christ, is it? They went out of the city and were coming to him. Now, if this was a woman who was rejected by the city and was all alone, why in the world would they listen to her? And even if they did, they came out and they saw a Jew that, no, I'm not listening to it. That, that doesn't make any sense. Maybe I'm wrong in that, but that does not make any sense to me. Now, true, she, she is a woman. True, uh, in that, in that, that, you know, a lot, they would put them on a lower level than them, themselves. There, there was... That was true of the Jews. I think that was true of the Samaritans. But for the most of the Gentile world, not so much. In fact, you, you see that a lot in the, uh, throughout the book of Acts, that prominent women, women who own businesses. And you, it, women in Jerusalem owned, owned businesses. Okay, Jewish women owned businesses. Look at Priscilla and Aquila. So it, that tradition was there, but not everyone practiced it. But this woman had influence. She was able to draw these men out. They listened to her. This is not a rejected woman who's all alone, as this fella would constantly say. Not true. And the focus here is not about this woman and her sin. Everyone has sin. What Jesus was doing with her was getting her to ask the right questions and to draw out the people of the city so that he could preach. He could not have done that being a Jew. She could. She could go in there and bring these people out, and she did. And so they came out. Uh, where, where did I leave off? Uh, meanwhile, uh, they went out of the city and were coming to him. Verse 31, Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples were saying to one another, No one brought him anything to eat, did he? So I think this occurred while she went into the city to talk to the men. Jesus said to them, verse 34, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you not say there are yet four months and then comes the harvest? Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields that they are white for harvest. Already he who reaps is receiving wages and is gathering fruit for his for life eternal, so that he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. For in this case, the saying is true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you have not labored. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labor. I don't have time to get into it. I just looked at the time. I'm running out of it. But he, he, he's talking about he's getting the people. It wasn't just about her. It was about the whole city. That's what Jesus wanted, to talk to all the Samaritans. And, and we already hit on that last part, verses 39 and following. Go home, read, study about this. And if you have any questions, let, let me know. Comment on this, uh, and I'd appreciate it. Anyway, I got to go. I'm over time. May the Lord bless you in all that you do. Thank you for being here with me this afternoon. To all the lost of every nation, bring the message out. Send it up to sweep away till she'll dawn the better day. Bring it out. Bring it out. Bring it out. Bring it out. Till the sinful world be one for Jehovah's mighty son. Bring it out. Bring it out. Bring it out. This program was sponsored by North Valley Church of Christ.
Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.